It's the end of the world. We all know that. And here we are at The Earth Wants You. I'm Savitri D here with Reverend Billy. This is a production of the Stop Shopping Church. We welcome you. So Hurricane Florence, we have a 500-mile-wide expression of the Earth's ferocity. Uh, still still um, bringing floods and incredible hardship to the Carolinas. The reporting is infantile. <laughs> the reporting, the way the media talks about the storms, you just have to extract things out of it or turn them off and call someone. I just talked to a friend in Greensboro, Dixie, from our choir uh, that's about as close as I've been able to get as far as uh, personal communication. But Listeners, the- if you haven't seen, Billy and our, our friend Teddy made a great movie last week. Uh, and you'll see some of that infantile storm reporting in that video. And you can find it on, on any of our regular pages. Go have a look. It's pretty good. It starts with just the mindless repetition of a very narrow approach to the storm. Now, the storm is a complex, floating ecosystem. It's, it, it's got lots of moving parts. It's, it's an amazing thing to face and to try to talk about. The reporters are, you know, if the reporters are faced with 100 feet of information, they're dealing with about an inch and a half. I don't know about you listeners, but, you know, I grew up in, in a pretty wild place, and I grew up in a place where you could see a storm coming from a long way away. And I want to say there's something profound in facing a storm and looking at a storm, in understanding that you don't understand, in understanding your proper place on this planet, which is, you know, your tiny, infinitely small member of the human community and then the Earth's community. So a storm like this is outside the scope of our understanding. I'm I'm a believer in science. I love science, as you know. But a storm like this is bigger than our imagination. Amen. Well, that's the first thing that, that goes. They toss out anything mysterious when they report these storms to us. And then therefore, they, they cut out, you know, 90 feet of, our, of that 100 feet I, I was just describing is, is things that we don't know about. But there's, a ways, there's ways to talk about that. Yeah. You know, uh, and maybe we can... Try to approach some of that here today in The Earth Wants You. We learn very early in our lives about this concept of hubris and humility. You know, with the story of Icarus flying too close to the sun and his wings melting and he falls to the sea. And somehow I feel uh, we've lost, I mean, this is so obvious, such an obvious thing to state, but let's just say it again. You know, remember Icarus, people. Remember that story. There's a reason we all hear that story when we're children. This is the anniversary, the seventh anniversary of Occupy Wall Street. And the... Uh, that's right. September the, 17th. Church to Stop Shopping was there just 2011. Every, every day. It was yeah, a, breastfeeding. A, a big part of our... I was. Uh, you were breastfeeding at that point. <laughs> yeah, my dominant memory of those <laughs> first days of Occupy was trying to breastfeed without cigarette smoke right in my face. <laughs> well... Sorry. Lena, just uh, those are her first memories. Occupy Wall Street began seven years ago at, at the Museum of the... Well, actually, it's, it started months before that in meetings that began in Tompkins Square Park across that summer. But on September 17th, 2011, 
a, a large group of people gathered at the Museum of the Native American uh, in downtown Manhattan, and a, and a march proceeded from that place, and Zuccotti Park was occupied that night. Um, and yeah, they left the, the, the Indian Museum not exactly knowing... I understand that they didn't quite know where they were going. No, nobody knew. Uh, they had a couple options, right. and they were talking to lawyers about uh, different parks and different places along the way, uh, what legal uh, you know, situation, very complex, what, what legal situation different places were in, and they, and they chose Zuccotti Park. I got, uh, I got mom-shamed that day by police. Uh, I was told, like, why are you? Why did? Why would you bring a baby to this? Why would you come here with a baby? Why would you come to this place with a baby? Why are you feeding your baby right? Because here? I'm hoping my baby turns out better, yeah. better than you. No, officer. no, that's not what I said. I said because I want my child to grow up in a better world. Oh, because I want my child to grow up with fairness and justice. Because I want my child to grow up, and not just my child, other children too. P.S. I'd be here with or without a kid. Man. <laughs> Uh, well, my, Occupy my is still influencing the conversation. Today I heard, uh, you know, Dodd Frank on the radio, <laughs> both of them talking about... Dodd and Frank? Dodd and Frank. <laughs> it's like a vaudeville act. And they, they were funny, actually, for politicians. Um, <laughs> it comes down to us from Bernie Sanders and Alexandria. And um, I think that Occupy Wall Street um, fed into Black Lives Matter, which fed into... Uh, Standing Rock and the women Women's March, the the various eruptions of justice that have taken place, like stepping stones across the years. Um, Occupy was the starting point. Or you could see it another way. Occupy also was a, a destroyer of previous movements, and I and I, in a healthy way, a disruptor. The way we talk about technology uh-huh. and innovation, Occupy was a, a disruptive force. It blew apart previous frameworks and ways of organizing. It wasn't it, gradualism. It wasn't trying to please uh, a uh, upper middle class liberal audience that might get embarrassed. That's right. And though uh, it didn't have demands, it was articulate. And right now we have a song that's taken from the Declaration of the Occupation by the Stop Shopping Choir. We are the 99%. These are the words of the occupation. It's the, it's the, the preamble to the the general assembly that the general assembly and a couple of the people from our choir eric were a part of the writers of this
welcome to News from the Natural World. I'm Savitri D. The United Nations is continuing to fight a relentless battle to eradicate extreme hunger, particularly in the world's poorest nations, by 2030. But it is battling against severe odds. An estimated 800 million people still live in hunger, amidst a warning that the world needs to produce at least 50% more food to feed the growing 9 billion people by 2050, 20 years beyond the UN's goal. The World Bank predicts that climate change could cut crop yields by more than 25%, undermining the current attempts to fight hunger. Hunger looms in front of us. In Western Germany, police have started clearing tree houses from Hambach Forest. A spokeswoman said 28 out of some 50 tree houses had been cleared and 19 of those dismantled. Authorities have faced stiff resistance from protesters occupying the Hambach Forest, where only 500 acres of the 12,000-year-old forest remain. The first forced evictions began last week. Several activists chained themselves to tree trunks or hold themselves up in tree houses to pr protest against plans to expand one of Europe's largest coal mines. On Sunday, police detained 14 environmental activists hidden in trees and tunnels. Children aged one to two years old on the cusp of learning language use many of the gestures observed in great apes. A new study showed that the children used 52 gestures to communicate, over 95% of which are shared with chimpanzees and gorillas. The scientists found that like young apes, the young children use these gestures in a similar way, combining them together to ask for different things. They also found some differences. Young children use pointing gestures far more than young apes and waving your hand to say hello or goodbye seems to be uniquely human. <laughs> Amen. What a relief. Swarms of mayflies have become a nighttime menace for people driving or walking across the Columbia Wrightsville Bridge over the Susquehanna River in Pennsylvania. Thanks to the 2014 installation of large 1930-era lamps along the two sides of the bridge, the mayflies swarm. They invade, causing blizzard-like conditions on the two-kilometer overpass. The swarms were so intense, the bridge was closed following three accidents, and bulldozers <laughs> were brought in to remove knee-deep piles of insect carcasses. As larvae, mayflies drift downstream with the water current, and when the adults emerge from the water, they fly upriver following the water's moonlit path of polarized light. At the end of their adult lifespan of 24 to 48 hours, the insects mate and the females drop to the water's surface, dying while releasing their eggs to the silt below. Beautiful. But that bridge with those lamps is breaking that path of polarized light, luring the mayflies up to the structure and causing the confused insects to perform their drop, deposit, and die routine right on the road. Mayflies. Wow. A 99-million-year-old beetle preserved in amber alongside grains of pollen, likely pollinated prehistoric plants and is so far the oldest evidence of pollination. 99 million years ago. Hong Kong began a massive cleanup Monday after Typhoon Mangkut raked the city, shredding trees and bringing damaging floods. In a trail of destruction that left dozens dead in the Philippines and millions evacuated in southern China, the storm, with gusts of more than 142 miles per hour, sent buildings swaying and water surging into homes and shopping malls in Hong Kong, with some roads waist-deep in water. Windows and tower blocks and skyscrapers were smashed as people hid inside. Oregon Fish and Wildlife officials have rejected a request from conservation groups to protect the Humboldt Martin. 
a small predator that inhabits old-growth redwood forests. <clears throat> Illegal marijuana grows on public land. When we say grows, we mean farms. Illegal marijuana farms on public lands are rife with powerful and harmful chemical pesticides that leave lasting damage to flora and fauna in the area. Morad Gabriel, a founder of the California-based Integral Ecology Research Center, said his research has led him to believe that marijuana grown illegally on public land is, quote, one of the most dirtiest, awful products you could ever think about taking. End the quote. most dirtiest. Despite the recent wave of legalizations, illegal grows are increasing on public lands. The earliest signs of life on a young earth around 3.5 billion years ago have generally come from the ocean in the form of fossilized microbes within ancient rock. Now, scientists working in the Greenstone Belt in South Africa, where some of the oldest rocks on earth are preserved, find evidence of terrestrial microbial life that they estimate is about 3.22 billion years old. That is so old. <laughs> Just a few pieces of plastic can kill sea turtles. And especially for young turtles, ingesting just a little more than a dozen, that's 12, a dozen pieces of plastic in the ocean can be lethal. A deadly pig virus has been found in northwestern Europe for the first time in three decades, putting pork production in the world's top exporter at further risk at a time when China is also battling the disease. The oldest known abstract drawing has been found in South Africa's Blombus Cave on the, flake, on the face of a flake of siliceous rock retrieved from archaeological strata dated to 73,000 years before the present. The work is at least 30,000 years older than the earliest previously known abstract and figurative drawings. Wow! Mark making. <laughs> Using cloud computing and data from 143 weather radar stations across the continental United States, ornithologists can now estimate how many birds migrate through the U.S. and the toll that these winter and nocturnal journeys take on bird populations each autumn an average of 4 billion birds move south from Canada into the U.S. At the same time, another 4.7 billion birds leave the U.S. across the southern border, headed to the tropics. In the spring, 3.5 billion birds cross back into the U.S., and 2.6 billion birds return to Canada. In other words, fewer birds return to their breeding grounds after going, going through fall... In other words, fewer birds return to their breeding grounds after going through fall migration and spending months on their wintering grounds. But the researchers were surprised to find that the migrants across the U.S. southern border had an average return rate of 76%. And the birds wintering in the U.S. had only an average return of 64%. They don't know why. When assessing the moral character of others, people cling to good impressions but readily adjust their opinions about those who have behaved badly. Donald Trump. This flexibility in judging transgressors might help explain both how humans forgive and why they sometimes stay in bad relationships. The brain forms social impressions in a way that can enable forgiveness because people sometimes behave badly by accident. We need to be able to update bad impressions that turn out to be mistaken. Otherwise, we might end relationships prematurely and miss out on the many benefits of social connection. I've done that repeatedly mm -hmm. throughout my life. That last news item just... <laughs> and finally, giving people information about how much gas or electricity their neighbors use encourages them to use less energy. People 
are more motivated to use less gas or electricity if they think those who live near them care about saving the environment. So Aha, wear it on your sleeve, people. Wear that button. That bumper sticker helps. The findings of the study could prove useful. I'm burning less gas, yes. neighbors. Yes. News. You know that old life. Old, Gosh. old life. 3.22 billion years. But then nobody can explain why these little molecules and compounds start organizing with each other to create one-celled animals. Why one-celled animals start gathering with each other to create larger beings. And then suddenly we're drawing and pollinating. Why? I mean, it's so what complex. Is life? It's so incredible. It's so incredible. This mayfly syndrome, this just gets to me. So... Listen, can you imagine driving a bulldozer onto a bridge to clear the mayfly debris off the bridge? Do you know how many mayflies that? And interestingly, that river could not support the life of these small creatures until the EPA passed the Clean Water Act and they cleaned up the Susquehanna River and those mayflies came back. They came back. And so this is both good and bad, right? We see... We see the power of changing our laws, but then we see the problem with electric lights. <laughs> Humans, we've got the, problems. The solution is for a large mayfly to push lots of little bulldozers off the bridge. We need to turn off those lights. That's all. Light pollution must end. It's destroying um, habitat. Confusing animals. Can I just ask, how old was that? Microbe. I didn't quite catch it. Was this is this is Killian Sunderman? Killian Sunderman. I just I heard it and it freaked me out. He's he's our engineer figure. Uh, Hello, Killian. Three point two two billion years. Terrestrial microbial life. Three point two. Now listen. If you start counting right now, you and me, listeners, we start counting right now. We count once every second. We never stop for any reason. It takes us sixty four years to count to a billion in seconds. Okay, just to give you an idea of what a billion is. Well, that hardly seems worth it. I'm not going to take up two-thirds of One, my potential life two, just to prove. Three, there they go. There they go. They're wasting four, their life. Five. <laughs> 64 years of that. People do the damnedest billion. things. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I counted to 10,000 once. Wow. It took forever. 10,000 mm -hmm. while your sister ran circles around you? No. Oh, that was a different time. No, I ran around my sister 10,000 times once. This is what country kids do. You know, this is what you do. You don't have TV. This is what you do. And it's raining or storming. <laughs> I'm going to run around my sister 10,000 times. Is that a healthy relationship? Absolutely. And look at these legs.
Today we're going to talk to Amadeus Hart. She's in a cafe in Dublin, Ireland. As some of you know, about three weeks ago, on August 23rd, uh, Sean Binder and Sarah Mardini were arrested by the Greek authorities for work they were doing uh, with refugees and immigrants in the Mediterranean. It remains to be seen what the actual charges are, what the real charges are, but at the moment they're being held in a Greek prison and they are facing apparently 20 years in prison. Amadeus, who is a member of the Stop Shopping Choir, uh, grew up with Sean Binder, went to school with him, and uh, has been in contact with his mother and his family and is working in Ireland to uh, find some remedy to this situation. So, Amadeus, welcome to The Earth Wants You. Hi, guys. Hello, Amadeus. In your assessment, Amadeus, how much of this is, is about them being made an example of to chill people from coming to, to work in these ways in the Mediterranean? I think that this is primarily what this case is about. And I think that they have targeted two kind of exceptional people, um, I suppose exceptional in a certain sense of prestige. For example, Sarah is going to Harvard. She was meant to be starting in a few weeks to study law and medicine. Um, whilst already having won an, a medal for being an Olympic swimmer. And Sean, likewise, just finished a master's in international relations in the London School of Economics. Um, both of these people are just extremely kind and lovely and hardworking and absolutely not criminals. And I think that the example that they're trying to create with, the, with this charge is basically we don't care who you are or what you do. Um, if you are doing something we dislike you doing, you will be treated as a criminal. And so do you really um, think this is coming, like in your conversations with uh, Sean's mother and, and people who are working on the behalf of Sarah and Sean, is this something the Greek authorities are pressing because they have another agenda altogether? Is there something they want in return for these two people? Is there some sign of some kind of back-channel maneuvering going on? I know sovereignty and autonomy of government is a big issue in Europe yeah, right now. Yeah, I think that it's, I think it's just, I think it's trying to reclaim a sense of sovereignty, perhaps aside from the European Union, aside from the free travel agreement that allows people like Sean, you know, to come from Ireland and Germany, but also mainly, yeah, I think that they're using it as their agenda is to deter people from engaging in this kind of work, basically to deter people to prevent more refugees coming. It seems so unlikely that this leftist government of Greece that obviously has increasingly not seemed to be progressive, uh, that they would, they would indulge in the kind of tactics that we identify with, with uh, fascist regime, regimes where, where outlandish prosecutions take place that are, whose only purpose is to, they're so fictional, they're so fictional on their, on their face that people go, oh, the government sure. will say anything it wants to, will do anything it wants to, and 
play with my life. Sure. It just seems so unlikely. Uh, I'm, I'm so surprised. It does. It does. But I suppose, I mean, part of it could be to try and reclaim some sense of sovereignty, which I know that Greeks struggled with, for example, a few years ago, when they were kind of bullied into reject, accepting a bailout by the EU and the Troika. Perhaps in that sense, they're trying to use this case to reassert their sovereignty, but then also to pander to some kind of anti-refugee sentiment that might be, Mm, you mm. know, festering during this time of very large economic crisis. Is the Golden Dawn uh, and the anti-foreigner demographic in Greece, are are they rising in power? Are they threatening? I know the Golden Dawn has plenty of seats in um, in the Greek Parliament. Right. Well, I know this yeah. summer when we were in Greece. I mean, what, you can always feel the presence of, of that sort of uh, nationalism there, right? And in any country, really, if you know what to look for, you can find that coded language. You can find those signs. You can find the graffiti. You can find the the sure. uh, the map of nationalism in any nation. I guess I'm wondering now, yeah. though, you know, there's an interesting tension here um, in this narrative, though, because, for instance, Sean is grew up in Ireland, but is a German national, right, has experienced in his right. life this complete freedom of, of movement, right? And he takes that privilege and he goes and he stands at this border, this vast oceanic border, and, and tries to help people through a, a terribly dangerous, you know, hundreds of people hundreds of people have died in the Mediterranean this year, uh, if not many more. And he is then stopped. So in this narrative, we see, right, this basic tension that we have in the immigration crisis played out really almost perfectly, right? This elegant sort of portrayal of the problem we have, which is freedom of movement for Europeans, for white people, for people with capital, with money themselves, and no freedom of movement if you don't have those things. Is his mom with him now? Are they, what are they so doing? The, I mean, as far as I, the last book, she was with him, yes. And she is kind of, Sean's mom, Fanny, and his girlfriend, Mina, are with him. And they are basically, I think, trying to just see him as often as they can and to try and be there for him whilst the legal proceedings are being organized. Um, but this also costs them a lot of money to be there, of course. Because, you know, Fanny is based in Ireland. And so, of course, she'll have to leave her her job, I presume, to be with Sean. What is the process of Um, of the trial? Is it uh, proving someone's... So he can uh, be held up to 18 months as far as I'm aware without trial. Outrageous. Yeah. Outrageous. Without, Without proving anything, he can be held for 18 months. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. As far as I'm aware. Yeah. He turned himself in, actually, because Sarah was leaving, as far as I'm aware, to from Greece to go to the United States. I think she was going to go to Harvard, and she was stopped at the airport by Greek authorities. Um, and word got back to his nonprofit, ERSCI, I think they're called, that Sarah had been arrested, and then... There was a warrant out for Sean's arrest also, and, and he turned himself in, I think. Well, it's an interesting dilemma that activists all over the world have right now. This is like this normalization or prisonification of our lives that we're experiencing all over the world, in which we are becoming more and more used to living within a tighter and tighter 
uh, boundary of behavior. We got to stop our shopping and start our living. Is there we anything people can do to help Sean and Sarah right now and their families? Is there are there active? As uh, far as I'm aware, um, donating so that because his legal fees have to be covered, and um, I presume they're going to be extremely expensive. But in Dublin, we are going to be organizing a protest at. Um, both the Irish, Greek, and German embassies. Uh, German good. because Sean is a citizen of Germany. Uh, the Irish one because the Irish government is saying, well, he's not a citizen, so we can't do anything to help him. And the Greek government, well, for, you know, facing him with 20 years in prison. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Greek embassy. Well, it just... It smacks of the fake news era that the two of them would be would receive for the most selfless, brave work. Uh, these charges it reminds me here in the United States the uh, uh, the Blackwater USA types who were defending the pipeline in North Dakota in conversations that we were were uncovered that they were having with uh, the government of North Dakota. People were they they were talking about the native peoples who have lived there for thousands of years, <laughs> they were calling them jihadists. They were, they, were oh calling na- they were calling Native Americans terrorists in their... Um, it's that kind of thing. Fascist government officials are almost like novelists. They're just making stuff up, you know? <laughs> and yeah. yet they have guns behind them and, and, and prisons. Yeah. Well, we'll put information uh, about how to give uh, help Sean and his family and Sarah and her family... Uh, and, and yeah, Am- there's a website. There's a website. It's um, Amadeus Hart. Freehumanitarians.com. Dot com. Freehumanitarians.com. Amadeus Hart speaking to us from Dublin, Ireland. Amadeus, thank you so much for the information. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. And keep us posted, please, on the uh, progress of their liberation. <laughs> Goodbye for now, Amadeus. Sure. Right, have a great day. Ho-ho. Beautiful, the beautiful sound of Greece. Polyphonous singing from Greece, the bread song, as we call it, which describes the a mother saying to her son, "Please, I'll bake you bread." And then she's praying to the bread that the bread won't rise, the bread won't cook, and it'll take too long, and the caravan will have passed, and her son won't be able to leave her forever. This is a an old, old migrant song from the north of Greece. And it could Sean, be the song of Sean Binder's mother who had to let go of, uh, and Sarah's mother, who had to let go of their children, who had to go down to Greece to help refugees. It could be the song of um, uh, the mothers of 
of young people from the Sudan or from Afghanistan or Syria who risked their lives to cross the Mediterranean. We felt the, uh, when we sang this song uh, this summer, as a part of the Hellenica Epidaurus Festival in, in Athens, um, didn't we feel how it was, uh, it's the bread song was uh, very current with lots of It's also a song that many people know. Like the photographer who was there shooting the show, she knew the song, so it's an old song. Oh, famous old Greek folk song. This brings us to activist news and today's Drums of Revolution. Welcome to Activist News. This week's Drums of Revolution is the Bowron Drums of Ireland. In Sacramento, activists blocked the street outside of a police convention to commemorate and point to the death of Stefan Clark, a 22-year-old unarmed black man who was shot last March whilst in his own backyard. Protesters laid out coffins to symbolize the lives lost to police shootings. Here we have the sounds of Ebony Harper and Ashley Yates, two community organizers who were involved with the protest. To have this much artillery against nonviolent people protesting for black lives shows you the difference between the Roman Empire over there and just people who want to advocate for black people who are being killed by them. One of the chants that we used to do in Ferguson, which is where I'm from, is why do you have on riot gear? We don't see no riot here. And it just highlights the ridiculousness of the police showing up in riot gear with, you know, lethal and non-lethal weapons against community members who have nothing more than signs, who are doing nothing but protesting the brutality of these police officers, who are doing nothing but standing for young black children, unarmed. We set down coffins that are representative of the people that have been murdered. And instead of, you know, being respectful and walking around, they literally trampled over them with their feet purposely. The representation of the black bodies that they've killed, they show as much disrespect as they do to the actual beings. As we have mentioned before in the show with Amadeus, but no harm in mentioning it again, Sean Binder and Sarah Mardini face 20 years in prison at the moment for their work helping migrants. This is dangerous stuff, people. All the best to Sean. Gunari on Boherla. On the anniversary of Occupy Wall Street, people gathered in Zuccotti Park to commemorate the activities that happened there seven years ago. Here's a bunch of people making speeches. The howling and profound inequalities in this world, not just in this country, but on a global scale, have not only pers persisted, but grown worse. Today we live in a world where the 42 richest people on the planet control more wealth than half of humanity. 3.7 billion people. We live in a world where 82% of the global wealth is controlled by 1% of the population. I was here the day we took Liberty Plaza on September 17th, seven years ago, and it was a beautiful thing. One of the things that Occupy taught us was never doubt that marginalized people can change the world. We've seen it with the First Nations rising up to change the, save the planet, We've seen the Black Lives Matter movement emerging to help us all reclaim our humanity. When Trump put kids in cages, the Latino community rose up, and with allies, all of a sudden, ice across the countries were being occupied. The movement here inspired new generations 
captured the imagination, changed the national debate, and opened a space for where another world is not only possible, it was now. But seven years ago, something very special happened in this area. Was it messy? You bet. Was it eclectic? You bet. Was it noisy? Yes. But folks, that's what democracy is all about. And what you had here is a very eclectic group of people who were compassionate and idealistic. That sign, I think, sums it up. Another world is possible. Now, folks, an opportunity for those of you who are inspired by the actions of others which you have just heard and hopefully riled up enough by the relentless battering of the Baron in your ears, this Thursday, an opportunity, the 20th of September at 6pm in Union Square, there will be climate protests to commemorate a year since Hurricane Maria swept through Puerto Rico and caused devastation and death, much to the disinterest of the American government. Storms, hurricanes, everywhere. It's happening, people. Get off your butts and go. Bring a Baron. I've heard a rumour that Naomi Klein will be there as well, if that's the kind of thing that gets you out of the house but really storms hurricanes everywhere it's happening get off your butts and go on the friday the 28th of september nyc shut it down have organized a call to action for botham jean the poor man who was gunned down in his own apartment by dallas police officer amber geiger last thursday this again in union square the center of new york activism at 7 p.m bring a rain jacket and bring a drum that's it for activist news next week we'll be back with more drums of revolution but for now enjoy the rest of this song from the wonderful group Day Diamond. got talent the red wolf there are 40 red wolves in North Carolina underneath the heavy storm clouds of Florence now the red wolf critically endangered the rarest of all wolves on earth also known as the Florida black wolf or the Mississippi Valley wolf native to the southeastern United States. It's different names, different cultures. Morphologically, it is intermediate between the coyote and the gray wolf and is of a reddish, tawny color. Red wolves may have been the first New World wolf species encountered by European colonists, which also explains why they're all dead, of Mm -hmm. course, and were originally distributed throughout the eastern United States from the Atlantic Ocean to central Texas. Um, By the mid-1900s, 
they were nearly extinct. And it was only through the work of many people uh, that a captive breeding program was begun, and these wolves were released back into the wild in North Carolina, where at least 40 of them still live and hear the sound of the red wolf. some birds in the foreground there. The wolf is always far away because wolves don't actually like to be around humans at all. Sometimes you share that that quality with the wolves. It is not obvious to many of us that our talking and listening is guided by the economy. Yes, in consumer societies, like the United States, this is most certainly true. But we insist on believing, don't we, that the immersion into advertisements, the nonsense language of politicians and spin doctors, the damage to our reading and listening from the peculiar power of computers, we consider such things to be a part of modern living. We're going we're gonna to handle that. We tough it out. But meanwhile, those forces are changing us. In fact, the commodification of our words is a deepening disease. I'll call it a dis-ease. Now this week, as Superstorm Florence swept across the Carolinas, we experienced a demonstration of why we have trouble talking about climate change. Certainly that's one of the most important themes of our and motivations for this radio show, The Earth Wants You. Why, in our particular country, especially the United States, why are we avoiding talking about this thing that is changing us and threatening us? If there is one thing that we need to talk about, it would seem to be whether we can continue to live on this earth. And yet this issue of climate change is only admitted into public communicating in very limited ways. All right, back to the the 500-mile-wide storm called Florence, still going on right now as we speak. The distortions of the reporting start with the repetitiveness. Switch the channels after 6 o'clock, and not only are all the eyes witnessing the same thing, all the mouths are saying the same thing. First, there are the numbers starting with the numbers of the dead, which begins with the phrase, at least, as if the news people are hoping for more dead, at least 17 dead. And then the numbers continue. Wind speed, 
and the size of the storm surge. And that's preceded by the phrase up to, as if they really want to push that wind speed forward up to 200 miles an hour. And that storm surge up to 15 feet high. Now, the number of emergency workers, the police, the number of National Guards people that have been called in, the, even the number, the number of saved dogs and cats, the numbers are flying at us. Of course, numbers are depoliticized. Numbers have no emotion. Numbers have no belief. That's just data. And as we said earlier in our show today, the mystery of the storm is something that we have to learn to talk about. We have to learn how to talk about the things that are not numbers. Somebody give me an Earthaluya out there. Earthaluya. <laughs> Amen. The violence, of course, the violence of the storm is foregrounded all the time. And this is the famous, this is the famous about the news. We call it storm porn. The ideal setup is a sobbing mother staring at her vanished home, picking up a drowned little rag doll or something. And then, of course, there's another angle, which is sentimental patriotism. This is really gives me the chills. It, it creeps me out. Has anybody ever seen a pile of rubble after like a big, terrible tornado or something like that in Tuscaloosa, Tennessee, that one? Yeah, there was a uh, there's a red, white and blue planted in the top of a pile of rubble like an Iwo Jima uh, diorama. Amen. Now, this this framing of the natural history story has been unchanging for decades a formula was struck at some point in the 50s or 60s. It just hasn't changed. It's very formal. It's as formal as any kind of religious ritual by a, a uh, Orthodox church that goes back millennia. It just doesn't change. But that, that's a problem, children, because there is something that has changed about storms in recent years. And it is accelerating in its change. And we call it change. We call it climate change. It's a very banal phrase, isn't it? Climate change. But that has not entered our reports about the weather. In fact, until a couple years ago, it was well known that most of the so-called meteorologists did not believe in climate change. They were among the most conservative uh, sectors of the population. They didn't, want it, they didn't want to admit that it was happening. I guess they were just really, you know, members of that old religion, and they didn't want to change the ritual. Uh, I really don't know. That's, that, that, I just said that in a glib sort of way. I don't really know the reason. But I hope that's no longer true. I hope that's no longer true. I hope that they really do accept it. Now, our weather reporters have got to learn to be able to talk about climate change in an easy way and not consign it to some sort of discussion later in an op-ed page or a, a formal panel discussion or some sort of discussion of scientists or, or not to, for years, climate change was demoted as a subject. It was, it was turned into fake news by the, the climate science deniers who kind of made it embarrassing in a funny way to talk about climate change. It was such a subject of Fox News uh, satires and so forth. We must be able to talk about the cause of a 500 mile wide storm as it's happening. And that letting a discussion of the cause go to the center of the storm 
is what the earth wants us to do. The earth wants us to have a conversation with what is that storm is the earth's conversation with us. We have given to the earth toxins. We have changed what the earth is with our waste, with our carbon dioxide and nitrous oxide and methane. And now the earth is coming back to us, replying to us with this deadly anger. There's an uprising going on. We have to admit that's what it is. We have to admit that we're in a conversation with a superior force that we have impacted. And that is, that is not just a uh, taking language to a place it hasn't been before. It's not just kind of embarrassing. It's kind of forcing ourselves. It's like the Me Too movement, forcing rape to the surface of the public conversation. We have to do that now with, with these incredible Category 6 storms. That's what they call the storm, the, the Bangkok uh, a typhoon in Hong Kong. They called it a Category 6 storm. It's, there's a phrase they were using which is d describing something that is beyond unprecedented. There's no precedent for this. Indeed, there is no precedent as far as we know. We call them 500-year-old 500, 500 storms. What, what do we call them? Century storms. N no. What is happening to us now is unique to our moment, and we have to be brave enough to go to the center of it and speak to it, listen to it, live it. And as I was saying, it's not just, it's not just a language. I've been framing this as a language problem. It's a spiritual problem. It's you and I and our bodies. It's you and I and what we believe the earth is. It's you and I and life. We need to learn to respect life actively to look for how we can enhance life and give life back to life. Amen. Life-alleluia. Life-alleluia. Let's go to the center of that storm. Talk to it. Listen to it. Amen. You've been listening to The Earth Wants You. I'm Savitri D. with Reverend Billy, our producer, Killian Sunderman, here in downtown Brooklyn, New York. Please join us again. Tell your friends about us. Hallelujah. Yeah. See you soon. All right.